Yo, what's up? How's everyone doing? Welcome to the Grace to Grow podcast. I'm Hannah, and this podcast is my lifetime documentation of the journey that God has chosen for me to travel. Let's get into today's topic. Hello, and welcome to the Grace to Grow podcast. I'm your host. I'm just joking. I'm Hannah. Hi. We're going to jump right in because I have a lot of things I want to say. Um, So before we get started, let's just pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness and for bringing us another beautiful day to live. God, we thank you so much for the sun that you've risen, God, and for your faithfulness to us, God. Great is your mercy toward us, God. Great is your kindness. And we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to do a Bible study together today. And I pray that this Bible study is not only enlightening to me and helping me to solidify or understand your word in a deeper way, but I also pray that it's enlightening to whoever's listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Hello. So, as you know, I did a podcast previously on Ezra. And as I've been in this death to self journey, I've kind of journeyed around from Ezra to Nehemiah. And so I read Nehemiah and it was really, really a beautiful read. Um, Now, did I read the entirety of Ezra? No, no. (laughs) I just read, I mean, did I read the entirety of Ezra? Yes, I read Ezra, all of the um, chapters in Ezra I did in fact read. Nehemiah, however, I did not. I only read chapter one. Now, let me tell you why I only read chapter one, but I still want to do a podcast on it. It's going to be quick. It's going to be quick. But I want to share this. I took my time as I was reading Nehemiah one because I really wanted to savor what I was reading and understand what I was reading. And so what I did was anytime there was in my Bible, there's little letters next to certain parts of the passages and the little letters represent the footnotes. And if you go down to the bottom where the footnotes are, it'll actually have cross reference verses for you to check out. And so basically when you're reading, you can see that section of the scripture referenced in other sections of scripture. So for example, in verse one, it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And so there's a little letter A right before Nehemiah. And if you go down to A, it tells you to go to chapter 10, verse one of Nehemiah. And so when I went to chapter 10, verse one of Nehemiah, it actually was referenced once again, that Nehemiah is the son of Hakaliah. So they show points of cross-referencing so that you can confirm what you're reading, right? It's not just mentioned in one place. It's actually mentioned in various places throughout the actual book itself. Like within the same book, it mentions these things frequently or within the whole entirety of the Bible, there are verses that um, are cross-referenced. And so I went through and as I was reading, I did in fact look at all of these cross-references and I found it to be very time-consuming, but I also found it to be very enlightening and I actually really enjoyed doing it. So let me share with you what I learned through doing this process for chapter one. First of all, chapter one begins with a report from Jerusalem. Everything always begins with somebody sharing something, some bad news with you. I'm telling you, somebody was sharing bad news with them. And basically, uh, it's Nehemiah. He's currently, now I forgot where, let me go back in here. Because I think it was Babylon, but I don't know. 
I don't know. I want to say. <laughs> I want to say. 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 I don't know. I don't know. I think it was Babylon. I want to say it's Babylon. Um. Yeah, it's just telling me that. Where does it tell us? Where does it tell us that he was? Okay, it was. I think it was Babylon. Nope, he was in Susa. Okay, so Susa is, is in Babylonia, but it's not Babylon. So Babylonia is like the little like country, I guess. And Susa is like the capital or citadel, because that's what it says in the Bible. It says Susa the citadel. Anywho, okay, so basically there is a report that Nehemiah gets. One of his homies comes up to him and they say to him in verse three, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. He comes in with this horrible news because this is your home country. This is like what you are like close to. And even though they were all in exile and now some of the people had finally gone back to Jerusalem and they were out of exile and they were going back to rebuild it, even though that was happening, still some people were still in exile and still everyone still had this feeling of of connection and commitment to their community, to Jerusalem, right? And so the fact that they're in, number one, great trouble, number two, great shame, is because of the wall not being built. They didn't have a wall in Jerusalem. The wall was broken down. It was destroyed. And so now all these exiles are returning and they ain't got no safety. They ain't got no sign of prosperity. Like uh, walls were a sign of prosperity to cities or citadels. So if you had a wall, it was known that you were your you were thriving. Your community, your city was thriving if you had a wall because it was a sign of protection. It was a sign of prosperity. And so. It was shameful for them to be going to this place and not to have a wall. It was shameful for them because it was a sign that they were no longer prosperous. It was a sign that they were no longer thriving. And then it was troublesome for them because they're not protected. They don't have a sign of protection. And so all these exiles are going back and their wall is destroyed and they don't have that source of protection and prosperity. And so um, in my footnotes, I kind of just had gone through and, and read kind of what it was mentioned, what it was mentioning. And so, um, yeah, anywho, it's really interesting. I'm not going to dive too deep into like everything that I read in the footnotes because I don't want to have to go back and flip and all that stuff like that. Because it was a lot of like flipping and flapping all over the place, you know, trying to go back to this verse, go forward to this verse, etc. And so not only does my Bible have that, but it also has like each verse has notes on that verse too. Um, And so it kind of goes through and describes like what's happening in each verse, which is very interesting. But anywho, after getting this report um, and I found out that Nehemiah, who was living in Susa at the time, that's actually the same place that Esther was leaving. So I think that by what I really learned from like going through the footnotes was it helped me to connect the dots between different stories. So I discovered that Ezra and Nehemiah both had the same like basic purpose and background. Like they both have the same basic 
things that they were doing. Like it was different and they did it in different ways. But at the root of it, it was the same. It at the root of it, it was the same. Helping out Jerusalem, right? And so both of them are kind of coming and doing this almost it's a, at overlapping times. It's not at the same time, but it's overlapping times. So you could see how Ezra and Nehemiah actually like overlap. And then another interesting thing that happened was when I was reading about Susa, the citadel, I discovered that that was actually the same scene in which Esther took place. And so it was just very interesting to connect those dots too and be like, oh, okay, so Esther was here, but I remember also Nehemiah being here too, because he was a cupbearer to the king. And so it's just very interesting to to have those different connections and to, to think about that. And so then... Uh, Nehemiah in, in verse four, as soon as he hears about what happened, he's crying. My man broke down crying. He broke down crying because he was just like so overwhelmed with hearing about how his beloved city, how his beloved people were now in trouble and were now, um, just basically vulnerable in a space of vulnerable vulnerability. And so he starts, and I, I like this part because it says, I continue fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And when I saw that, I was like, so after hearing this bad news, he continues to pray and fast, which tells me that before he heard this bad news, he was praying and fasting because you can't continue something you weren't doing before, right? So it tells me that he continued to pray and fast because he was already praying and fasting. And so after hearing this and mourning over this report, he is now continuing what he was doing before, which I think denotes a, a sign of like, um, dang, I just lost my train of thought. But I think that the fact that he was fasting and praying previously denotes a sign of like commitment and obedience to God and submission to God. So the fact that he's continuing that shows that he is still continuing to submit to God even in this in the midst of of hearing this report right and so then it goes in from verse 5 to about verse uh yeah basically to the end of the chapter verse 11 it's him praying and i love nehemiah's prayer nehemiah's prayer is something i absolutely love reading and i love to reference nehemiah's prayer because it's just really like i just i like it i like it a lot and so he basically tells that he's confessing the sins of his people. He's confessing his own sins. He's confessing the sins of his people. And then he's asking God to continue being the faithful and loving God that he is and help him out. That's basically what he's saying. He's like, I know that I'm sinful and I know that my people are sinful, but God, you're not sinful. You are faithful. You are loving and I need your help. And I think that that is a wonderful prayer to pray because we could sit here and go through, God, I want this. And Lord God, just, but no, I'm sinful. Your people are sinful. We all sinful, but you're not God. You're not, you're not sinful. You're loving, you're faithful, you're steadfast. And I need your help because I can't do it on my own. That's basically what Nehemiah was saying in a nutshell. And I think that that is the prayer that, that is a, is a sign of true submission because we're not sitting here saying, Lord, I really want to go help my people. And I really want to, and I really want to do this. And I want this. And I want that. And I want to go help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God, and it's just so heartbreaking to see it. Like he's not doing all that mumbo jumbo. He's just letting God know that I know I'm a sinner. I know my people are sinners, but God, please remember that 
that you are faithful. He, God already knows he's faithful, but just remember your people, God, in your faithfulness and, and, and to help us out, Lord. And so one thing I wrote down when he was confessing the sins of his people, I said that sin is generational. Like sin knows no generational bounds. It does not stop from generation to generation. It just continues. That's it. And then he says, we have not kept your, com- I, I like this one. I like this one a lot. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And so when I went back, because there was like a little letter there to tell me where to go um, in a cross-referencing. And so it cross-referenced Deuteronomy chapter 28 and in Deuteronomy chapter, wait, yeah, basically in the whole chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 28, it basically talks about like God and the blessings that he was going to give his people if they obeyed and the curses that he was going to give his people if they disobeyed. And so here, when he says we've not kept your commandments and statutes, that's Nehemiah letting, well, that's Nehemiah saying basically like, God, we deserve the curses for disobedience because we have not obeyed what you told us to do. You said that if we obeyed you, you would bless us. And you said that if we didn't obey you, you would curse us. And so, God, we deserve to be cursed. We deserve to have this punishment put upon us. But, God, please don't do that because of your steadfast love, because of your grace, because of how great of a God you are. You know what I mean? And so even though we haven't kept your commandments, Lord, please help us out because we still want to honor you and we still want to love you, even though we're not necessarily showing it right now. And so then, anywho, I hope this makes sense. I'm just kind of all over the place right now. But, anywho... I also like the the fact that Nehemiah, the name Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. I just saw that in my Bible somewhere and I was like, I love this. Um, And so one thing that I wrote too was that in Deuteronomy and in this, in this chapter, God establishes blessings for obedience, like I just said, and curses for disobedience, but he also promises and but he also promises to get us back to obedience. It's like a classroom behavioral management system is what I said. Like basically in education, like you don't just say, okay, here's the reward you get if you do good. And here's the, here's what you get, the punishment you get if you do bad, but you actually want to help every student get to that place of obeying, get to that place of being rewarded for their obedience. And so, yeah, anywho, uh, <laughs> something I wrote when I saw that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king that I think is actually very humorous is the fact that I said this, I said them cupbearers was leaning on God. I'm telling you every day their life was on the line. It was potentially in danger. I wonder if they were trained to like smell it or any techniques to know beforehand what to look out for. Basically, the cupbearers to the king was the people who used to drink the king's whatever he was drinking, wine, water, whatever, before he drank it because people was trying to poison the king, trying to take him out. And so I just was like, in my mind, I was like, that's just so like, imagine being a cupbearer, bro. You have to lean on God because every day of your life, potentially you could die any day. Like you have to drink, you have to take a sip before the king takes a sip. So like, if you die, you could die any day. Like you really had to be dependent on God, which is why I like Nehemiah because I like Nehemiah. He a good Christian because he had to, he had to depend on God being a cupbearer. He ain't had no choice. Um, and so then, yeah, basically after that, 
he goes and stuff and uh (laughs) and so yeah and he's finishing up his prayer and he's just saying god be attentive to us and not because of we deserve it but because of of your grace and because of who you are and yeah i just really liked it and so then um, let me see 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 I just have a lot of notes and I don't really know where I'm going with this. But anywho, last th- I think this is the last thing I'm going to say on Nehemiah. Um, okay. <laughs> Him saying at the end of the sentence, after his prayer, he, after his prayer, it ends the quotations and it goes in to describe to us as the audience. He says, now I was the cupbearer. Now I was cupbearer to the king, letting us know that he was cupbearer to the king, right? And... The way that he transitions from his prayer and what he said in his prayer, what he had written down to letting us know that he was the cupbearer of the king. It made me think of the way that black people say, now, mind you, because now he's about to move into the next chapter, Nehemiah chapter two, where he's actually with the king. And so this is my favorite part, because when Nehemiah says, now I was cupbearer to the king, I just in my mind, I picture Nehemiah being black and I picture Nehemiah saying, Mind you, I was cut bare to the king. So I pull up in a king's presence. Like, this is how I picture Nehemiah telling the story. I picture, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna just say it how I think Nehemiah said it. All right, so boom, here we go. I get a report from Jerusalem, right? I hear them coming up to me, talk about some, your people are in danger, your people are in trouble and in great shame. Like, all this stuff going on, we ain't got no wall, it's been destroyed, all the people basically don't feel protected, they don't feel like we thriving, like, they feel like we just the bottom of the scum right now, like, we the bottom of the earth. This is how everybody came up to me, talk about, Nehemiah, 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 this is what's going on. I was, I started crying, I started crying, I couldn't say nothing, I, 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 my hands and my back were up against the wall. I could not do nothing. I started crying, I started mourning. And so I just kept fasting and praying like I had been doing before, because I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And, you know, like, you know, I just started praying. And and after I had prayed, now, mind you, after I had prayed all this stuff, keep in mind, I was a cupbearer. Meanwhile, all this time I was cupbearer, right? So, basically, I pull up to the king. I'm doing my job. You know, every day I'm doing my job. And so, I pull up to the king's presence. I'm about to drink this cup. You know what I'm saying? And... The, cu- the the king looking at me, this is chapter two, by the way, I'm about to jump into an overview of chapter two, just the first part of chapter two. So the king looking at me and he like, Nehemiah, what's going on? And I had never been sad in the king's presence before. Like I had never been like upset visibly. Like I always was smiling and stuff. And so for the king to ask me and sit here and ask me what's going on. I was like, what do I say? Like, and so I had just prayed to God real quick under my breath. I was like, Lord, Lord Father, please help me with this because I don't know what to say to the king. I had like prayed real quick under my breath like that. And so then, yeah. And then I basically told the king what was up. And then he was like, well, what you want me to do? And so then I was like, okay, man. Like, I see you. I see what you trying to do. You trying to let me down. Okay. So, and I was like, you know what? Like, let me just say, if this is in your favor, king, can you please do this? And he did it. And he did it. And look where we at today. Anywho, that's Nehemiah for you. Um, but yeah, what I really liked was that it this whole scene was a testament to Nehemiah's character. It was a testament to the fact that Nehemiah was a person who was content and joyful. For him to have never been 
downtrodden in the presence of the king was a testament to his character. My man is literally an exile. He is literally like a, like technically a slave, I think, because he's, even though he's a cupbearer, he, his life is not his own at this point. He has to do whatever the king wants him to do. And because he's in exile, he has no choice. He has no, like, he's not going home to his family. He, you know what I mean? Like, and so for that to be the situation that he's in, he is not able to go back to his home place. It's just a sign of his character that he is in this situation and yet still joyful and yet still, still content where he is making himself content where he is. And I just think that that's beautiful. And I I like that a lot. And so, yeah. Um, anywho, that's all on Nehemiah that I'm going to do. But I also have been reading Ecclesiastes and I think I actually finished reading Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes will stay forever my favorite chapter my favorite book in the bible because every single chapter just reminds me of my purpose on earth and it reminds me how to get back to eden you know i've been thinking about this thing back in eden back in eden back in eden but genuinely back in eden all we did was eat drink i say we like i was there oh we were supposed to do it we was all able to be there now nah, i'm joking but all adam and eve were doing in the garden of eden was eating, drinking, and putting their hands to work on whatever they needed to work on. And I think that that's what Ecclesiastes is constantly referencing. Ecclesiastes is constantly saying, eat, drink, and be joyful. Eat, drink, and and take joy in the labor that you have. And I think that that is, is, is just a reminder to get back to the basics, to get back to like, what should we be doing? And so I just highly encourage anyone to read Ecclesiastes because I love Ecclesiastes. I think it's my favorite book in the Bible. And it just reminds me to keep keep my life simple and not overcomplicate things, not constantly be striving, constantly trying to do this, do that. Like it's just refreshing to read something that is so honest and so convicting and yet comforting at the same time. Anywho... That's all I'm going to talk about today in regards to Nehemiah and Ecclesiastes. And I will see you all in the next one. Okay. Adios. Goodbye. Hasta luego. Peace.